Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip. Let it rip. Let's go. All right, well, that was a good mic check. Michael check. <laughs> Michael Jordan check. LeBron James, 23, four championships check. Five championships. Four. Four championships. Five. Five? Four. I don't know. How many has he got? I don't know. Two in Miami, one in Cleveland. He's got four. Four. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. Matei and Doug here to break down what happened last weekend against UNC. Look ahead to BC. First and foremost, Doug, what's going on? Not much, not a, not too much going on here in good old RVA. The rain finally stopped, and I'm pretty sure North Carolina stopped scoring touchdowns. They might still be running right now. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 interesting that uh, you know all the rain came a few days after the game. We thought it was going to be kind of flashbacks to Hurricane Matthew when uh, Virginia Tech went down there uh, in 2016 and beat uh unc but it's a loss first loss of the season unc 56 points virginia tech 45 points a lot to unpack here we're going to try to do so as efficiently as possible (laughs) and then look ahead to bc but we got to start off on a sour note here we got to talk about the defense Oof! what do you want to talk about the defense about i don't even know where to start (laughs) I'll, I'll start with 600 total yards of offense, 56 points. Uh, never, there were multiple possessions in North Carolina never even faced a third down. Six to 10 on third down was knowing that, you know, we talked last week that Virginia Tech was not going to stop North Carolina completely. There was going to be points scored. It was going to come down to whether they can get a few stops or just a couple stops at key moments. Um, and that did not happen one bit. Uh, pretty much, I mean, they, a little bit in the third quarter there, and Tech created their own turnover with the amazingly beautiful onside kick. Um, but other than that, just from the very from the very get go, it was a a collapse defensively. You know, I think a lot of attention is warranted and clearly being paid to the secondary, which was down. You know, multiple starters especially at safety, which is where, which is really where you see it show up in the running game there uh, with Tyler Matheny and then J.R. Walker and a bunch of other guys. Tremari Connor goes out early with after the targeting penalty. So pretty much that quarter was the worst-case scenario for Virginia Tech. They fall behind 21 nothing, and, you know, pretty much have no chance of stopping them. So at that point, you're trying to figure out how to make up 21 points. Um, 
with basically nothing in the secondary. And really, they weren't getting anything up front on the defensive line, too. So, I mean, when you give up 600 yards of total offense, it, it takes the team effort. Um, but we knew this was going to be a bad matchup for Virginia Tech, especially with what they were going to be missing in the secondary. And that clearly held true. Yeah, and when you look at this North Carolina offense, I mean, this was the first time that Virginia Tech was seeing a balanced offense. And not only that, but it's one of the best balanced offenses in the entire country. And you saw very early on, you know, Virginia Tech was able to dial in on the NC State ground game and say, look, beat us through the air. They're able to, you know, hold Chase Bryce and the Duke passing attack and not really give up too much on the ground against Duke. But when you're playing a team with these type of athletes everywhere, all over the field, guys that, you know, a Sam Howell who's going to be in the NFL one day and can make all the big throws, it really showed here. And I think, you know, like you were saying, the storyline all season has been who's going to be in, who's going to be out. And I, I think anyone would tell you, if you're starting Tyler Matheny at free safety, a walk-on guy against one of the best offenses in uh, college football, clear-cut, this is not a good matchup. I think the problem is, with all the guys, with all the adversity in the secondary, Devon Diablo not playing, Chamari Connor going out with the targeting call, I think I was more disappointed in the guys that were there, the guys on the defensive line. I didn't see anything out of Justice Reed. I think Jared Hewitt was largely invisible in this game. Guys like Rayshard Ashby and Dax Hollyfield, you know, in the first two weeks when we're reviewing these games and, and talking about these players, we said, you know, these guys are solid. They're not doing anything one way or the other. They're just, you know, they're doing what they have to do, and the team is winning. But I think in this game... Their invisibility is a huge problem. And we talked about, you know, these are guys that aren't very good going east to west. These aren't, you know, linebackers that can go out in space and, and cover athletes. And I just think the whole operation just kind of fell apart. And, you know, Sam Howell, I'm looking at a stat line now, 18 for 23, 257 yards. You know, he probably could have been pr like much closer to 23 out of 23 if some of his wide receivers didn't drop some passes on third down when they were wide open. So, you know, clearly in this game, defense had a lot of issues. I think no matter what the adjustments were, a lot of guys were uncomfortable out there. There wasn't real, really any shot calling going on. And it, it just seemed like whether UNC wanted to pass or wanted to run, they were just going to do it with ease. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you have to give a ton of credit to Carolina for executing their game plan perfectly, basically. I mean, the the story coming in was that this was a, this was a group that hadn't looked all that good against, you know, Syracuse and um, Syracuse and Boston College. But I think anybody thought, if you expected that to continue, um, I think that's mostly... A, a product of their start and stop three weeks in between games kind of season. But I mean, this is the group that brought back every single skill position player from last year. So they were going to break out at some point and they got handed a, a defense with, without any safeties basically, um, which is the perfect recipe. And, you know, their downfield passing attack had struggled and, you know, Mac Brown talked about it all week leading up that they needed to take what, the defense was giving them first and then attack them downfield. And 
I mean, they did that right from the start. Daz Newsom, he he can, he clearly has a chip on his shoulder when he plays Virginia Tech. Obviously, his brother played at Tech, and that was the recruiting saga to the very end. But um, two years now, he's 13 for 13 against Virginia Tech targets and catches. So um, they they took what was took what Virginia Tech was giving them with that short passing game, and then they went over the top to Diami Brown. So. Um, you know, not really anything Virginia Tech could do at that point when they can't they can't force an incompletion because they were really efficient early in the short passing game, and that just opened everything up. So, um, you know, tough tough deal there to go one of the biggest games of the year, when a huge game for the program and all that, and be down um, the secondary. But you know, I think. I think that was something we all expected. Um, I keep going back to that, that, you know, if you expected North Carolina to score, to still struggle, um, I think that was the wrong attitude to go in there. The the way to win this game was to withstand the barrage of points that was coming. Hope Virginia Tech's offense is as good as advertised and then get a couple, couple stops there to swing it Virginia Tech's way. And it didn't happen. And, you know, part of that is, which I think we can get into, is the slow start by the offense to fall behind. I mean, twenty-one nothing in the first quarter, two two three and outs to start the game was was pretty killer. Yeah, one last thing I want to say just about UNC's offense against Virginia Tech's defense. Some of these trends I don't think we'll see going forward, and I think there's you know there's no offense quite like UNC's maybe until. Clemson at the very end of the year but um, you know in a lot of these games it's not going to be this kind of dynamic and I think you know we talk about expectations and if you were to tell me it would be an 11 point game one way or the other I would say yeah probably Um, and, and if you were to tell me it would be a shootout I didn't expect it to look like this and speaking of expectations just seeing the guys on the perimeter, and you can talk about Deami Brown going deep twice, Daz Newsom having a day, but I thought the concerning thing, my the most concerning takeaway is seeing guys like Daz Newsom on the perimeter at 5'11", 190, just manhandling Virginia Tech defenders and, and sealing the edge for these guys. And, and you can point to that and say, look, it's the guys in the secondary. It's a, you know, Alan Tisdale was playing safety at times. Um, you know, having a guy like Tyler Matheny, who probably didn't expect to see two back to back starts. Sure, that's fine. But I think there was a desire that was clearly absent from this Virginia Tech defense. And as we will go on to talk about the Virginia Tech offense, it was just a completely different story of Will and, uh, you know, trying to come back into the game. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, I, I do wonder if like Virginia Tech knew what was what was going to happen, the particular on defense, and that showed up. You know, you they know that they're missing a bunch of safeties, and, and then Connor goes out early, and everybody knows what that means. That's another guy they're down in the secondary. So I do wonder if that is a factor in in what was going on there a little bit. They those long runs by Carter. You know, he got past Matheny in the hole, but that was also the, those wide receivers blocking downfield. So, um, 
pretty complete effort by the UNC offense against against the depleted Tech defense. And the only way Tech was going to win this game was was if the offense kept pace and started Braxton Burmeister to start two three and outs. Um, the drop on that first third down by Trey Turner was particularly devastating. Um, I do think it was thrown a little bit behind him, so equally at fault. But you know, you want to see him um, catch catch that pass. So you know, to I think they went six plays and seventy five yards on the first play of the game. Virginia Tech had to respond, and they probably knew it too. And whether they were pressing a little bit because of that, I don't know. But um, to go three and out twice and be down fourteen nothing in the blink of an eye is was just the beginning of them trying to crawl out of the big hole. Yeah, and I want I want to talk about the offensive efforts and the worst part about these big games and especially the first loss of the season is just seeing how polarizing the fan base can become afterwards and saying how easy decisions are that clearly aren't as easy. And my rule is if you think it's that simple, it's probably not. And I think we saw that, you know, Braxton Burmeister starts this game and I put up an article earlier in the week. Uh, Justin Fuente said, Hendon Hooker, he's a full go. And we all said, well, (laughs) will we see him? Will he start? You know, how much practice time with COVID is he, you know, what's going on? So there's so many things to kind of unfold there throughout every single week. And I don't think it's a bad decision to start Braxton Burmeister to start this game. You know, when you look at these two teams, the score zero zero, putting him in there, you know what your brand is. You're you have a strong offensive line, probably your best position unit. You have one of the best backs in the country. And I know there was some criticism there about his lack of touches in the first quarter. But, you know, the way that UNC approached their defensive game plan against Virginia Tech was daring Braxton Burmeister to throw. And there were lanes where he he could throw. And I think the problem is not the decision to start Braxton Burmeister. It was the effectiveness of him in that first quarter and for most of the second quarter as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I said this on Twitter, but I I think the decision to not start, everybody wanted, after they saw what Hooker did in the second half, everybody wanted to start him. But Hooker's a guy that, missed two weeks with COVID and has had two weeks basically to get back in shape. Is he ready to play 70 plus snaps at the ACC level over four quarters? Probably not. Um, At least that week. I think he's definitely going to get it this week, but um, that seems a little early. And I think they probably would have, you know, he was available for Duke but didn't play. So clearly they were still working him back there. Is, you know, I think this was probably always the week that they had targeted for a bigger role for him. And his role wasn't supposed to be that big last week against Carolina, but then the score dictated. And, you know, you look at starting Burmeister. If so, Hooker missed two weeks and he came back right before the NC State game was let back around the team. So, so Burmeister practiced those two weeks then he practiced the week before the Duke game, and then he practiced the week before uh, this game. So he's got four weeks of practice, continuous practice under his belt, while Hooker, you know, missed two practices. You know, 
had a couple practices before Duke and he was available but never played. So he, the, the practice time has not been there for Hooker leading into this game. The biggest game of the year, I, I think going with the guy that's, you know, had a full month of practice reps under his belt to start is probably the right decision. It didn't work out. You know, he's clearly limited throwing throwing the ball. That's two games in a row we've seen that. But, um, you know, I think that made a lot of sense. Yeah, and just one point I want to make. I've been seeing it a lot, but I've heard several people say, well, Hendon's been back for two weeks. None of us know that. And Fuente was very, I won't say transparent, but uh, he was very clear about the fact that Hooker had some ailment, some health issue. And we don't know when he was cleared from that. We don't know. All we know is he was a full go as of Monday. As of the Monday before this Carolina game, he was a full go. Before that, he may have been on the field. He may have been at practice. But we, we really don't have that insight. And I think it's, it's a lot harder to, before seeing what Hendon did on the field against Carolina, it's a lot harder to say that would have been the case if he comes in snap one instead of a guy, that, like you're saying, that has literally had all this time to practice, has played two games, it's a really tough conversation, and I see why both sides are saying what they're saying, but I don't think it's as clear-cut as people make it out to seem. Yeah, I think the thing some people lose sight of is that when you have when you have COVID, presumably, whether he was asymptomatic, we don't know, but, you know, you sit out two weeks, but if, you know, anybody who's ever been sick with, like, a thick cough or anything like that, like, it's not two weeks and then you're immediately back to physical, like elite physical fitness. Um, you know, it takes, so even, even if he was back to practicing, you know, after that NC state game, he's probably not anywhere near physical fitness level, anywhere near full participation. Um, I think probably last week was his first week there. Um, so, Again, biggest game of the year against number eighteen in the country that you need to get off to a good start. You know, you you're probably siding with the guy who's got two games under his belt and four weeks of practice, as opposed to the guy that's you know you're not you're hoping he's back to full health and back to full strength and on his way there, but you just don't know. I think you go with the sure thing. It didn't work out, and they handed Hooker the reins in the second half, and we saw what happened from there. But as far as like going into this game. I think Burmeister was a, more of a sure thing than Hooker. Yeah, and this and this entire offense, Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente are all about having, you know, they they want those predicted outcomes and um, you know, good thing that Hendon Hooker is healthy enough to play and actually had a very solid game and will be the starter going forward, at least against Boston College. We'll see what, you know, test results say in future weeks and who will be in and who will be out. But, you know, another point I wanted to touch on with this offense is Khalil Herbert. I mean, he has another great game, 18 carries, 138 yards, 7.7 carry, which I believe is the lowest of the season, which is ridiculous. Um, two touchdowns, including that 52-yarder, but two touches in the first quarter. And a lot of people were, you know, pointing to that and saying, how can this happen? He's the best player on the offense. The only thing I'll say, watching that first quarter over again, 
UNC was all within 10 yards. They were the best player on the field. They knew they had to shut him down and say, look, Burmeister, if you're going to beat us through the air, then do it. And whether it was on Burmeister or if it was on the wide receivers not getting separation or not making catches, whether it's behind them or, you know, they should have made a play on that ball, it just didn't happen. And I think, you know, if you're going by the book, which they often reference, go by the book, you know, in every situation, you're probably more favored with a pass happy offense in that first quarter trying to beat the UNC defense. And if you make a couple of those third down conversions, all of a sudden we could be talking about a different game. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Khalil Herbert didn't get enough carries in that first quarter. 21-0 down. Yeah, Fuente Fuente talked a little bit about that. He said something like, you know, he's not getting any carries if you're going three and out. Um, You know, those first two possessions, they had six offensive plays. He had two carries on those six six offensive plays. So, you know, if you're upset about those first two possessions, you're looking at you're talking about nitpicking for one or two more carries for Herbert. Um, I think that's a little too much nitpicking. I will. I do think you know if you look at over the over the Duke game and the Carolina game, the if you if you expand it and you look at the the first half numbers, you know, Burmeister heads into the halftime against Carolina with 11 carries. Herbert has six against Duke. I think it was eight and seven was with Burmeister head. So I think that's indicative of what they have to do offensively with Burmeister in the game. He's not a threat with his arm. We saw that how North Carolina was playing them. So to take the focus off Herbert, He's got to get carries. So, you know, he, so basically having Burm, he's clearly got value with his speed to the to the edge, which he showed in this game. But, but if you're looking to build your offense around Khalil Herbert, Burmeister takes some carries is going to take some carries away from him. I think Hooker, they'll still design run with Hooker a little bit, but I think, you know, he, his ability to throw the ball keeps defenses more honest. So that Herbert can be this essential. I mean, at this point, he should be the star of the show, no doubt. Give him 20 carries a game, whatever he wants, feed him the rock. Um, and I think it's a little easier to do that with Hooker at quarterback than when Burmeister is. And you're having to get him going on the ground to open up the the run for Herbert. Otherwise, they're just going to key on Herbert and shut him down and, and dare Bur- Burmeister beat you over the top, which is what. Carolina was doing earlier in the game and you know I think I think you know this is an offense that even with Hooker back should 100% be built around Khalil Herbert and getting him the carries he needs early and often I think that's a fair criticism but you know to, to boil it down to those two three and outs where Virginia Tech didn't score you know that's not I mean, it was six plays and he got two carries. So you want him to get three or four carries in the first six plays. Um, You know, I think that's a little too nitpicky, but yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think to your point, you saw what happened in the second half. And, you know, there was a a point in time where I I was – Carrying the one, I couldn't figure out how many points Virginia Tech was down, how many two-point conversions. I was trying to do it in my head. It just didn't make sense. And, you know, 
Virginia Tech opted to go with Hennon Hooker in the second half. He obviously played, I think, just one drive in the first half, um, and that was largely because uh, Braxton Burmeister appeared to cramp up yet again. I don't think it was a hand cramp this time, but um, in the second half, they go with Brax with uh, sorry Hendon Hooker, clearly because they know he's the better passer. He's the guy that has to bring them back into this game. Once he was able to put that on display, once he was able to find some guys down the field, James Mitchell, Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, all of a sudden you saw lanes open up that the UNC defense couldn't stack the box or put every single one of their 11 defenders within 10 yards. And all of a sudden it made Virginia Tech more balanced. They were able to get back into the game. At one point they were only down by five. And I think those are the signs of encouragement, not only the resiliency of the entire team. And I don't want to, you know, focus solely on moral victories here. You lost this game, but looking at this Virginia tech offense, there's a lot to like when you have a calm and cool customer in Hendon hooker, who's able to maximize this offense play effective. Then seeing Khalil Herbert use what the offensive line is doing when they don't have to block 11 guys and being effective as a runner. And we're seeing him have these returns because when he's being asked to carry the ball, it's in a situation where he can excel. So all in all, the second half is more of what I want to see out of this Virginia tech offense. And, uh, you know, I thought they did a much better job of adjusting at least on that side of the ball in the second half. Yeah. Uh, they had basically one, two, three, basically six possessions take away the, one second possession at the very end of the game, but six possessions, four touchdowns, a field goal, which was they also scored a touchdown on that possession that got called back for a penalty, um, and then and then one punt. So I mean, those are pretty good numbers. After that twenty-one nothing lead, Tech wins the game, forty-five to thirty-five. Which, if you told me for the game that that would be a, that I would say that would be a final score that. Would, that Virginia Tech would need to win the game. Um, they won the second half, 31-21. So they they got it righted for sure, especially offensively. To and and they played to where they could win the game, except for that twenty-one nothing deficit they put themselves in. Um, so yeah, everything you wanted out of the the offense: Robinson with the touchdown, Mitchell with the big play, um, Herbert obviously doing his thing, and Hooker as the as a trigger man, that's basically what you're, what we expected from the offense um, coming into the year from the full fledged offense. So, I definitely think that's you know this is probably the best Virginia Tech offense since maybe Tyrod's last year when he had uh, David Wilson and Danny Cole and Jared Boykin, all those guys. But um, the I mean the the only question going forward is the defense and is it. Is this a one-time issue? Is this a blip in the radar? Is this because it's Carolina, one of the top two offenses in the in the ACC, or is this something that you know they can kind of they can get better and better over the course of the season? At I think that's pretty much what the season boils down to. Yeah, and I know uh, we may not be able to answer that question right now, and it's a bit rhetorical, but. Just looking at, you know, the the entire product of this game, I think, obviously, a lot to like about this offense. And I think, you know, you can say what you want about the decisions that needed to be made in this game. We'll never know that. Unfortunately, we just won't. But 
moving forward, it, there's a lot to love about this Virginia Tech offense, and I think defensively, um, you know, the major thing is is that run defense that I think I'm most concerned about. Guys will come back into the fold on defense. Things, you know, at least in the secondary, I don't I don't expect to see um, a whole lot of a whole lot of Tyler Matheny moving forward. I think Devon Diablo will slowly go back into the mix. And again, you know, what will he look like once he's back, right? You can't just expect him to be at 100%. Um, but I think slowly over the course of the season, the defense will start to come into, you know, close to 100% as time goes on. Guys will start to learn, you know, their respective schemes. They didn't really, you know, they're learning on the fly. Everyone's learning on the fly. People are playing new positions. So I think it's going to get better over time. I think, uh, you know, a huge part of that run defense will be Deshaun Crawford coming back. I think he's so key to this team. Um, and so, you know, just bringing guys back and having more time because these game reps are so valuable given that you don't know who's showing up to practice every day. You don't know who's showing up and this is a brand new defensive coaching staff and you don't know. <laughs> and to this point, you haven't even known who's showing up on the coaching You don't staff. know the coaches. <laughs> um, they didn't have spring practice. They had most of a they got through most of August all right, but the last month has been Ryan Smith out, Tracy Clay's out, Justin Hamilton out, um, Bill Tierlink missed time. Um, you know, this was their first week with a full coaching staff. This is their third game in a new, pretty new system. And, you know, I think a lot of it's pretty similar, but they're clearly doing some different things at multiple, at multiple spots. So, you know, they didn't, you know, if you give this team spring practice, they can probably they're probably a little bit ahead of where, like in a normal year, you would expect them to be a little bit ahead of where they are. But you know, as far as playing your third game, and it's the first time you've had your new your entire coaching staff, but you're playing without the whole secondary or without all your safeties. You know, they still haven't been full strength, they, and they probably won't be for the whole season. So, um, you know. This is something that they're going to have to deal with probably for the last, what is it, seven games, eight games of the year. Yeah, and definitely I don't want people to listen to this part and say, oh, they're just giving excuses. You know, they're rolling their eyes to, oh, you know, you 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 do have to deal with what you have. And I think they're trying to make the most of it. Um, but to act like this is going to be the new norm for the Virginia Tech defense, I think is unfair. Um, because there are reasons for optimism, and at, at least on the defensive side, you know the Virginia Tech offense is pretty much operating at peak performance right now, and I think it's fair to say that there's a lot to be desired on the defensive side right now, and there's a lot more to be shown. So, and, and I mean, that comes back with personnel, coaches, uh, you name it, and yeah, more time it, in the system. It, I mean, the coaches are coaching through Zoom during the week, but like they're they're watching film and doing meetings with the team during this week. They're not actually out on the practice field coaching. You'd look at like Bill Tierlink missed time, came back right before the NC State game. He missed, I guess he missed two weeks, probably a week, 10, 14 days, whatever the COVID protocols are, but he missed significant time coaching, physically coaching the defensive line and, and teaching and all that stuff. So um, I think we'll see slow improvement, but until people until Virginia Tech gets the full strength defense back, not only just like eligible to play, but at, you know, 
as good a shape as he can get into, which I think that's also a concern because there's, you know, Rayshard Ashby is the guy everybody talks about. He's clearly not as good as he was last year, but he also missed a bunch of time. So you can assume he's not not at his usual game shape right now, but he's also playing, you know, he'll play 11 games in 11 weeks and that's going to take a toll on his body too. So um, I think that's something to watch going forward is you expect guys to get better as they come back from COVID and missing a bunch of time. But at some point, like the balance of playing four quarters every Saturday in the ACC, you know, the wear and tear of that, that that wears you down in a normal year. So it's going to wear you down this year too. So um, just something to keep an eye on going forward. Any final thoughts on UNC before we close that chapter for this year? Uh, shout out to Brian Johnson for yes. an amazing onside kick. Uh, and a 55-yarder. And a 55-yarder and a second pretty good onside kick that they almost had. Um, I mean, that was <laughs> that was the perfect. They had to do that, that onside kick to try and steal possession to get back in the game, and he executed it perfectly. Um and then he almost executed another one, but uh, credit to him. Yeah, it's not every day you say going from Joey Sly, uh, Carolina Panthers professional kicker in the NFL to going to Brian Johnson isn't much of a drop off. And in fact, I think, you know, Virginia Tech just longstanding history of having excellent special teams. The last thing I do want to say about UNC, and I said it last year when we did our podcast about that crazy six overtime game. This is by far my favorite rivalry between Virginia Tech and an ACC Coastal team. Forget Miami. Um, forget, you know, everyone loves to to tee up Virginia. But these are the two teams, in my opinion, UNC, Virginia Tech, that are clearly vying to be that team that plays Clemson on an annual basis. I know Miami's having a good year for now. Um, but these are the two most exciting teams that I think have the most potential. And uh, it's just crazy to see how close every single year has been. Um, and it's going to continue to get more and more heated as Mac Brown is bringing in these monstrosity of, of recruiting classes. And, um, you know, Virginia Tech still finds a way to piece together solid football teams that are expected to be at the top of the division every it's going to be a fun one. I mean, every year you you never know which way it's going to go, and I think that's what makes it so exciting. I don't I don't rate UNC over the UVA rivalry, but uh, your point still stands. They're the, the 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 UNC has always been the team with the most potential. Um, the program, the sleeping giant, if you will, they've tried to get it going multiple times, um, and just haven't been able to sustain it whether it was the butch davis years or the larry fedora years or now the mac brown years so um you know we'll see going forward but yeah unc uva miami those are the three big rivalries i think for me uva still holds you know the top spot but you know especially with how much unc and tech go against each other recruiting it's a big game every year for sure for sure um Moving forward, Virginia Tech will face off against Boston College next Saturday, 8 p.m. on the ACC Network. Just a lot of ACC Ugh. Network games. Ugh, 8 o'clock. 
ACC network. Uh, it's tough, and they and of course it's during the uh, Georgia Alabama game. Uh, so every week it's always coinciding with the biggest game of that respective week. Um, <laughs> don't worry, the week after 4 p.m. on RSN. So a lot of a lot of great networks going. Love RSN. <laughs> so, anyways, um, Boston College three and one. They took down Duke twenty six to six. They beat Texas State in a nail biter twenty four to twenty one. They lost to UNC, but only gave up twenty six points. And most recently, they beat Pittsburgh in overtime at thirty one to thirty. Boston College in year one under Jeff Hathley, looking like a force. Uh, force might be a strong word, but uh, they're trying to get good. the ratings up. Try to get they're, the ratings up. They're a solid team. Um, you know, this is a big game as far as if you're starting to look at the ACC standings. Clemson's the top two go to Charlotte this year. Clemson's clearly going to be one of them. Um, Carolina and Notre Dame are the probably the favorites right now. And then there's like seven teams with one loss. And these are two of them. So if Virginia Tech wins this game and you look at their schedule, they play Wake, who's one and two, and they've only beaten Campbell. And then Louisville is one and three. And I think their win came against some FCS program too. So, and then they play Liberty. So if you win this game, you can, you would feel really, really good about, being six and one heading into the Miami game, November 14th. So um, this is a big you know, gut check type game against a really tough team. Um, it is a different Boston college offense than we have come to expect. You know, they had, they had AJ Dillon for so many years running the ball. And then they had, what was his name? Andre Williams was the other running back who was, they're, I mean, they've been they've been a running team around a big offensive line for so many. This year, they are not a good running team. They still have a pretty good offensive line, but the but their their entire team, but particularly offense, is based around um, Phil Jerkovic. 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 This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Notre Dame transfer, he's really good. Um, you're going to hear I, I, Fuente already leaned into it by comparing him to Roethlisberger um, Monday afternoon. But every time the ACC Network announcers bring it up, you'll have to take take a drink of your favorite um, beverage uh, because they're going to say it a lot. And it's true. He's a he's like 6'5", 240, a load to bring down. Um, you know, you can send the best blitz at him. And if, if he sees you coming, he's probably going to shake you off. So... Um, just a really interesting shift. They threw the ball 56 times against North Carolina. I don't even, I don't even know when the last time. <laughs> like, it would take them f- multiple games to get to 56 pass attempts in, in prior years. 
you know, Jerkovic is the the first Boston College quarterback to throw for 300 yards in this first four games um, in Boston College football history, which is pretty pretty absurd, especially when you talk about like Matt Ryan and Doug Flutie. Um, so they're they're a solid team, especially offensively. They don't have a lot of weapons, but the ones they do, they they throw it to a lot. Yeah, they make sure to maximize their options on the offensive side. I will say it's it's a little crazy throwing 56 times in a game and somehow you, you know you toss out that statistic and and they don't, they allowed zero points to UNC in the second half. I mean that's insane. So um or at least the what was it the two point conversion something like that. Yeah, well they allowed Zero points goal. on. Yeah. They allowed zero touchdowns. They allowed a field goal and a two point conversion. So everything except the touchdown. Yeah, that's insane. And throwing that many times. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting offense to say the least. We just talked about, you know, for half an hour about how this UNC offense was so balanced and had so many weapons that can go around the perimeter. And when it, what it boils down to when you're looking at BC, um, it, it's really Phil Yurkovich, who can extend plays, and that scares me a little bit, knowing what we've seen out of the secondary for Virginia Tech. Um, you have Zay Flowers, a big play uh, threat at wide receiver, who I think you know is up to 100 yards all-purpose per game. And then Hunter Long, a big tight end that's very reliable and was all-ACC third team last year and has pretty much tripled his production this season so uh they do have some good players like you said how i may have overstated the team as a whole by calling them a force you saying not the best for their rushing game they're pretty terrible they average 1.9 yards per carry um they have big david bailey who's a big running back but they can't block for him i know that boston college again you're you're going to a first year head coach. You're changing your defense, you know, into a four two five, and you're changing your entire offensive line philosophy. So, you know, it takes time for everyone, and um, you know that you're seeing not a lot of returns in the run game and a lot of returns in the passing game. Um, so this is a weird team because the simple answer is just defend the pass. Get Justice Reed and Emmanuel Belmar to collapse the pocket and somehow bring this guy down and and just, you know, play sound coverage. But I think it's going to be a lot more difficult than that on Saturday. Yeah, they have they still have a, it's going to be the best. Well, I mean, I guess Carolina's proven they were the best based on what they did, but it's one of the one of the top two offensive linemen, offensive lines Tech has faced yet. Um, really talented, really experienced. I think they bring back four starters if not five from last year um tyler tyler (laughs) tyler vrabel um the son of mike vrabel is um a really really good right tackle he's probably an nfl guy um but yeah they the is going to be a problem um he's their one deep threat uh and they've they've connected a couple times this year but he's just tough to tackle in space you've got to get you've got to get bodies to him pretty quickly after he catches it to wrap him up. Cause he's going to, he's going to make one guy miss basically. So you got to have multiple guys floating there. And then Hunter long is one of the best tight ends in the country, as you said, but they throw to him 
he's the most targeted guy and Jerkovic does not care if he's open or not. Like if you watch some of the times he's thrown to him, he, he's been draped all over and he makes the play. So um, I think that's going to be, he, he's not a, he's not an explosive threat. Like, uh, you know, he's no, he's no Kyle Pitts. He's no Brevin Jordan from Miami who will like take a ball to the house at any time. He's a big lump. He's, he's the prototypical Boston college tight end, a big lumbering, pretty slow guy. Um, but he's really, really, really good and will make contested catches. I'm not really sure who Virginia Tech puts on him, um, but that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to ask too, and um, just looking at this offense is kind of how to organize this defense after what we saw last week. It seemed it didn't matter. They were just picked apart, knowing that it's going to be all on the shoulders, quite literally, of Phil Yurkovich. I mean, is there are there any changes that you want to see particularly? Because, you know, I, I, I do believe Chamari Connor comes back into this game because it happened in the first half, his targeting call. Um, but that being said, he hasn't been super sound in coverage. And I kind of worry about his ability to cover the tight end. And then looking at a guy like Dax Hollifield at backer, I'm not so certain he's the best man to be a coverage outside linebacker. So I guess my question for you is, are there any big changes that we should expect? And I know a lot of it boils down to who's available or not, but just in a perfect world, how do you think that the defense should adjust to knowing that you're going to play a past happy offense? Yeah, I think as far as changes, you're going to, you're going to, the one thing with flowers in particular is they put him in the slot a lot. Um, he's probably spends half of his snaps in the slot. 50% of the snaps are in the slot. So, you know, is that going to be Jamari Connor um, guarding defending flowers when, when he is in the slot? Um, I, you know, Newsom pretty, pretty much has had his way with Connor the last two two years from the slot. And I think that's also a bad matchup for Connor there. So, you know, you saw Jermaine Waller get a little the nickel last year or last week when they were trying anything and everything. Um, so I think you could see that again this week. Cause the other two receivers, Jalen Gill and um, who's uh, what's the other guy's name? CJ Lewis are, you know, they're, decent players i actually think they should throw the ball to lewis more than they do but they just are not targeted you know hunter hunter long and flowers have combined for 84 targets this year and the other guys are all like 15 a pop 10 a pop um so it's so you know it's going to be really interesting it's going to take a team effort to get long i think i think depending on where he lines up you're going to either have connor diablo or even Dax on him, and I think you'll see probably some zone to try and bracket him in there and give a couple guys a crack at it. But um, he's going to come up with probably ten catches on on Saturday, and be about you know getting Jerkovic on the ground when you have an opportunity, and 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 preventing Flowers from getting beyond you. Yeah, the the last 
you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, uh, Breon Murray coming back would be huge. And again, just divine Diablo, Justin Fuente said in, in his presser that he he's expecting him to come back. And he said he's expecting a few other defensive backs to return. So just a few more of those guys will make such a huge difference in this game, in my opinion. And, you know, still need Jamari out there. But uh, I think there's certain situations that he excels at other than uh rather than others but moving on to the bc defense we do need to talk about them because for the teams that virginia tech and boston college have they they have two shared opponents and that's duke and unc and boston college only allowed six points to duke and 26 points to unc which is a vast difference between 31 and 56 so knowing that Jeff Halfley, defensive-minded coach, uh, you know, changes the entire scheme of their defense, but they still have a lot of very good players at all three phases of on their defense. Yeah, it's a really solid group. None of these guys are going to really jump off the page at you. You know, I don't think there's like a Chaz Surratt or... A storm duck at corner for UNC kind of jumps off. Jumps. There's no. There's not any, you know, elite athletes like that. But they're clearly a solid, solid group. They haven't. They haven't let anybody get over thirty in regulation. Pitt got there via overtime last um, last week, and Virginia Tech. I think they've scored thirty points in ten of their last twelve games. Going back to that Duke debacle last year, the only two games they didn't score over thirty were. Uh, Notre Dame game where Quincy Patterson was the quarterback and then the Pittsburgh game in the rain last year. Um, so basically can you take the 30? Can they? Um, that's the question there. They have BC as a pair of really, really good linebackers, which isn't surprising. They always have good linebackers. Um, Isaiah McDuffie and Max Richardson. Um, McDuffie is the guy I think you can have success against in coverage. Um, I think he's I think he's third I think teams have completed 13 of 15 passes against him in coverage so you know I, I look at that as a matchup they're really good they have a really good he's like the opposite of flashy but um Valdez the defensive end is all over the field and it's going to be if if there's a play near the line of scrimmage he's going to be in on the tackle probably um so I think this is a it's a really good group. It's a solid group, but I don't think they have faced a Virginia Tech offense that's operating like Virginia Tech's off- offense has been operating at. You know, they played Carolina, and that was that weird. The first game back after three weeks off, um, and on the road at Nice Stadium in Chestnut Hill. It's just a weird environment. So. I don't put much stock in that. I think Virginia Tech still got a leg up on Virginia Tech's off leg up on the Boston College defense, but it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be four quarters of easy offensive football for them. There's going to be some starts and stops because they've got enough talent to, you know, Josh DeBerry is the quarterback. He's a, he's a future star. He's really, really good. And Halfley has been talking him up a lot, but, um, you know, I, I still think Virginia Tech's talent, on offense is going to be able to move the ball and score some points. 
Yeah, and just looking at their ACC rankings, Virginia Tech number one in the conference in points per game with 42.7. Boston College at 12 out of 15. And then defensively, Boston College fourth in the conference in points allowed per game. Virginia Tech 14th, right next to Florida State, which is not a good look. Um, But, you know, this will be a tale of, you know, at least the way that I see it, I think it's going to be... can Virginia Tech continue the success they've had on offense? Because right now, I don't think it's about stopping teams. It's about outscoring other teams. And Boston College is all about stopping teams and putting up just enough with Yurkovich. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, we've talked the first couple of games about like the, what, what's the path to victory? What's the game plan to winning the game? NC State was all about... Um, you know, shutting down Hawkman and making or shutting down the running game and making Hawkman beat you. Duke was all about getting pressure on Bryce. So, so, you know, he doesn't get anything going in the passing game. And Carolina, we knew they didn't have a chance. Uh, so as far as this game, I mean, I think you, the, the number one thing is you, you have to stop the run like everybody else has. If, if Boston college pulls the running game out of their hat, that's going to be a real problem. Uh, this is not a team that should run the ball. So that's the first thing. And then I think, secondly, you have to get pressure on Jerkovic, but it's got to be, it's going to have to be blitz pressure unless you're counting on four, your four defensive linemen to, you're, you need two guys to take him down, basically. If, if he sees you coming, he's going to shake you off. If you're just one guy, you need a guy to, to, to get him from the pocket and then you need the guy on him almost immediately to get him to the ground. Otherwise he's going to extend plays, hang out in the pocket for, you know, five seconds, six seconds and wait, wait until he finds either Hunter Long or Zay Flowers. So um, I think the blitz game for Virginia Tech, clearly the defensive line didn't do much on their own last week against Carolina. So you're going to need a little help from, you know, Ashby and Hollyfield and Tisdale and those guys. But, um, yeah, I think it's all about those. You're going to live with 10 catches for Hunter Long. You're going to live with a handful of catches for Zay Flowers as long as you can get them on the ground. And I think if you can, if you do that, just like North Carolina, just like Pittsburgh, you can pretty much keep Boston College in the 20s. And if Boston College is in the 20s, Virginia Tech can get over 30, which they've proven fully capable of doing over the last, you know, 10, 10 out of 12 games, I think they win probably by two scores. Yeah, I'm fairly confident in this one as well. Um, wait to see what we put out on Friday for predictions, but any final thoughts about this Boston College, either offense, defense, anything about this team that you want to throw in there? Uh, one, one, thing, one thing to keep an eye out, uh, they've ran it multiple times, but it's it, they they love running these like okay two things now that I'm thinking one throwback screens they will they will decoy a screen and roll Cherkovich right and throw back throw back across the field with a long front of them that's a play they love and then the other thing is you can't you've got to keep them out of third and short fourth and short because Jerkovic is unstoppable on quarterback sneaks. He, he picks up, it's like 
back in 2012 when Logan Thomas was sex quarterback and he just ran right up the middle for and would pick up like 12 yards on a quarterback sneak. It's the same thing. You, you, there's no chance of stopping him on like third and one or fourth and one on a quarterback sneak. So you've got to limit them. And, you know, even third and three is probably tough to stop them if they're just going to say, go get the first down. Um, so that's, that's a big key, I, I think, as well. Well, folks, you heard it here first. We have no idea what's going to happen on Saturday, but you can bet your bottom dollar we'll be back next week to recap all the action, give our thoughts on it, and preview Wake Forest as well. So we'll see you then. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.